0: Rick, we talked to somebody who may have the most colorful life of anybody that we've ever talked to. His mom took a bath in Hitler's bathtub. He bit Picasso, and Picasso bit him back. He's a well-known and renowned photographer, filmmaker. His name is Anthony
1: Penrose. The Minutium Celebrity Interview is up next, but first, take a listen to this other fine Opie show. Hey, and friends here, and I think you should listen to us. Why's that? Well, personally, I like dragging us down rabbit holes that have little to do with the conversation at hand. Yeah, you do that all the time. I think you're a professional at it. I'd like to be. I think that's my ideal job. Just to be the tangent man. How you guys feel about peeing on a bus? <laughs> all that on And Friends, an Opie show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Great talk radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. Radio Misfits.com.
0: The following is a Tony
1: Lasano podcast.
0: An Opie show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. This is the Minutia Celebrity Interview with Rick and Dave.
1: Uh, Dave, I'm, I'm very excited about our guest. He's he's not only a renowned photographer, he's a filmmaker, an artist, a photo curator, an author, co-founder of the Lee Miller Archives, which we'll get to in a in a bit uh, here, just uh, in a few minutes. But please welcome to the show, Anthony Penrose. Anthony, how are you?
2: I'm good, thank you. Nice to talk to you.
1: Now, you you began as a photographer, uh, but the world was a different place. I mean, uh, when you began, for one thing, everyone in the world is walking around with a camera in their pocket and used the thing that was known as film, which uh, for our younger audiences uh, is something that was developed in dark rooms. Uh, You know, things have changed a bit, haven't they, since you began?
2: massively yes and i'm really thrilled to find that people still use film and and use it to good effect i mean of course convenience dictates that digital is such a marvelous medium but yes there's something magical there's something marvelous about working in the dark room and and all that happens in there and i'm i'm not gonna i'm not gonna give up on that
1: so you still have a dark room in the house, and you still do uh, a lot of work on film yourself?
2: Well, I don't get to the darkroom very often these days, I'm sad to say, and I'm really kind of out of practice with it. But I just have it more for sentimental reasons, and every now and then I get back in there and print something
1: there's something about that smell right the, uh, <laughs> the the chemical smell in the dark room because I used to uh, years ago I also uh, developed film and it was it was just it, it kind of puts you in a, in a happy place walking in the room with that smell
2: I love the way it comes up out of this white sheet of paper yes. under the developer and you rock 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 and slowly this image appears and sometimes it's way different to what I expect yeah. and you know Sometimes it's a disaster, but nonetheless, it's this kind of excitement that happens. I mean, I I love digital; I use it all the time, but it doesn't have that sort of tactile and exciting quality. Yeah.
0: Well, your your mom, Lee Miller, and we're going to talk about her quite a bit, but she actually. Screwed something up in a dark room and invented a whole different technique entire uh, Solarization, right? Uh, can you tell? A yeah, can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Well, well, she, she screwed up big time She was working with an American photographer A, a guy who's called man ray yeah. and he was a surrealist He was probably the most exciting modern photographer of his day if not of ever and she was his uh, his studio assistant and his model and also his lover in Paris uh, from 1929 to 1932. And fairly early on, she was in the darkroom and she was dish developing some cut negatives, which you, you develop them flat in the dish. And you do this in total, absolutely total darkness. And you put the negatives in the dish, you've put the developer in, And you rock it to and fro, the idea being that the uh, developer goes evenly over the surface of the negative. Well, while she was doing this, and it takes quite a long time, about four minutes, uh, a rat ran over her foot. (laughs) And she let out a shriek, snapped on the white light. Now, you just do not do that when you're dish developing. Man Ray let out a bigger shriek, snapped off the white light and dumped the negatives in the fixer to try and save them. And when they looked at it, they found the most extraordinary thing had happened because the completely black areas or the areas that would have been completely black had reversed out to white and it had left this extraordinarily beautiful kind of reverse halation line around the outside of the image, which in this case was a nude. And, they were fascinated because the, the image is so beautiful. It's like it's like the woman's slightly melting, uh, and it's quite weird and dreamlike. And, of course, as surrealists, they loved the dreamlike. Yeah. And they couldn't stop until they had worked out how to repeat and control this process. And it had already been found by a guy called Sabatier and it had been forgotten about. And Man Ray really claimed it as his own, and he called it solarization. But it was just as much Lee's as it was his, and they both used the technique for for many years. And in fact, Lee last used it in about 1944 to do some portraiture and some shots of underwear for Vogue magazine in London.
1: Wow. That's a lot of rats. Yeah, yeah. Them. I was going
0: to say, do they when they recreated it, they had to put a rat in every time so they would,
1: she would shoot. Yeah. <laughs>
2: well, that's it. You see, they had to figure out how to do it without the rat showing up because he couldn't be relied on.
1: <laughs> uh, well, I've been to Paris. I think it probably wasn't that hard to find rats. But...
2: <laughs> yeah, but does he come in at precisely the right process? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. That's yeah. a good
1: point.
0: Uh, so a couple of months ago, our network came to us and said that we had to interview... Someone who had bitten Picasso, or our show was going to be canceled. And, <laughs> and not only did you bite Picasso, but he actually bit you back. And you wrote a Absolutely. and you wrote a wonderful children's book about it, aptly titled the boy who bit Picasso. Can you tell us about the book? And, and and, and yeah? You know, well, first of all, why did you take a chomp out of perhaps the most influential artists of the 20th century? But tell us a little bit about that time and and the book, because I just, I think it's extraordinary.
1: Got, I got to hear like, this story. Uh,
2: well, the book came to me by, uh, by the inspiration of an, a photographer who's called David Douglas Duncan and he had a little dog which he gave to picasso it was a little dachshund and the dog was called lump mm-hmm. and david and lump were very happy but he couldn't keep lump and he realized that lump was very much in love with picasso and picasso with lump and so he left them together and they became inseparable and they adored each other but one day david told picasso that lump had never seen a real live rabbit and Picasso was horrified because he realized that this amounted to a deprived childhood. So uh, he made one out of cardboard. And the thing was that the cardboard that he picked up had been the, a box that had contained some really yummy cakes. Uh oh. <laughs> and so he made this little rabbit and colored it up and put it down on the floor in front of Lump. And Lump went up and he went, sniff, sniff, sniff. And he thought to himself, if this is what rabbits are all about, I'm on. And he ate the cardboard rabbit. And thus, he was the very first and probably the only animal that ever ate a work of art by Picasso. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. And David wrote a book about him, which I thought was absolutely wonderful, called Lump the Dog Who Ate a Picasso. And that gave me the idea. Yes, I did bite Picasso. And although I was very young, my mum wrote about it, and I, I had all the information. And so I settled down, and I had lots of photographs that she had taken, off Picasso to use, and so I wrote a little children's book. But I was I was stuck in a way because, unlike David, I hadn't. he photographed Lump actually eating the work. <laughs> Nobody photographed me biting Picasso. So the uh, our, our designer. Um, went off and found uh, some, uh, a child, a young kid, and the child drew a wonderful picture of me biting Picasso, and that was actually just what we needed. Oh. And so the book went out, and it became a very successful book. It's now in 11 languages worldwide. Oh,
1: wow. That's, that is- <laughs> that, that's awesome. You know, uh, coming from where you came from with uh, with your family, uh, you know, Lee Miller, your mother, was a, a Vogue cover model, a renowned surrealist photographer, celebrated war correspondent. Your dad, uh, Sir Roland Penrose, was a was also an artist, poet. Um, and as we talked about, uh, buddies with Picasso and your grandfather was Irish painter James Doyle Penrose. Any That's pressure at all to go into the business <laughs> right. well, there? Then, then my
2: my American grandfather, who I adored, was a guy called Theodore Miller, who was uh, an engineer, and he ran the DeLaval Separator Company works in in Poughkeepsie, New York, and and uh, and and yes. Yeah, so I mean, it's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. kind of hard to live up to that. Right. Hard. Yeah, not. yeah.
0: You couldn't have been like a podiatrist or anything, right? <laughs> right exactly. You, you had to
2: be an artist. Dad, I'm going to be a dentist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes, I'm sure there's some very creative dentists. <laughs> <Who> doesn't. <laughs> doesn't appeal to me that much but But you must have grown
1: up in a really fascinating home i mean i can't even imagine uh you know the the creativity dave and i grew up in uh german homes and it was not like that (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah
2: well it's kind of hard because one only has one growing up and most of us are fortunate enough to have one home yeah um and And we're not very analytical at the time about, well, this home is is like it is or like it isn't or is different in one way. And it took me – it it sounds rather pretentious, but it took me quite a long time to really get what a more normal household was like. And it was only when, you know, when I was kind of much older and and going to stay in my friends' homes that I realized that, yeah, they – had very different taste in art and the color of their walls was different and the way they hung around and did stuff together was very much more formal than in, in my household.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating. You know, uh, the network also, a few weeks back, told us that we had to interview someone whose mother took a bath in Hitler's uh, bathtub. This is a very demanding network that we work (laughs) with. I was going to say, it is a
2: very, yeah, they, yeah, they,
1: yeah. Yeah, What do you want from us?
2: We're doing the best we can. It's it's
1: so lucky for us that you filled both of (laughs) these qualities for us. Yeah, there you go. So tell
0: us about this iconic photo that I know that I had seen before, um, yeah. About your mom taking a bath in Hitler's bathtub, right? And and I just found out this morning it was the day that Hitler committed suicide, wasn't
2: it? Absolutely, yes, yes. While Lee was in the tub, Hitler and Eva Braun way across Germany uh, at four forty-five that afternoon in, in Berlin, they killed themselves. And so it, you know, it has this kind of like symbolic end yeah. to that piece of dreadful tyranny. And it's like she's washing away the the effect of that in that moment. But actually, it started off with a much more mundane reason is that uh, Lee and her, her wartime buddy, David Sherman, he was a life photographer. They knew that the way to get the stories was to make friends with the signals, the signal core, because they knew everything. And so what he would do what they would do was to to drop a crate of cognac at the feet of the chief signaller (laughs) and uh, and the chief signaller would say um yeah there's not a lot going on but when you get to munich this is an address that might interest you and so on and 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 they say oh hi fine thanks you know see you see you in a day or two and and they take off well Information like that, of course, they would never refer to it because they would never reveal their sources, but that's how they did it. That's how Sherman told me they did it. Wow. And they ended up with Hitler's address. And so when they had when they arrived in Munich quite late uh, on the evening of April the 30th, uh, I think they must have been there just about dusk, and they went straight to this place, and they marched in, and... Uh, made friends with the people who were occupying it who were again mostly signalers because you see it was the telephone network there and signalers really get off on telephones or they did in those days anyway they found that it was about the only house in munich that still had coal and therefore it had hot water and this was too much and sherman said to me you know, we hadn't had our clothes off in three weeks. It was just more than we could handle and hot water and soap and towels and a tub and Lee leapt in first and then they realized they had a scoop. And so they got a photograph of Hitler a vanity portrait mm-hmm. by his ghastly little pet photographer called Heinrich Hoffmann oh, yeah, right. and who put made, that on
0: the, who became a billion didn't his family become like billionaires
2: absolutely he made he made a fortune <laughs> out of publishing Hitler, Hitler pictures of Hitler and the picture that they sat on the edge of the tub was the classic image uh-huh. of that time it was made into a poster that was circulated all over germany and it was written on it um ein, Reich, ein volk ein führer große deutschland one people one nation one leader great germany i just chills me to the marrow to hear oh, the shit. populist governments of the world using that at the moment, you know, as a, as a phrase. Anyway, she gets in the tub, and Sherman lines up the first shot. Now, if you look at the picture, she's sitting there, and she's concealing her breasts. She's kind of crouching down because she knows that shot is going to be published, and it won't be published if she's showing too much. Right. So it's, it's kind of like, she, as the, as the model, she knows straight away how to pose for the occasion, so she's pretending to flannel herself you know with a face cloth and and she's sitting there and Sherman gets off about five shots, then they switch and he gets in oh yeah look most of the key the key point in in that picture is actually the boots right, on the right, mat right right. Because the morning of that day, those boots had carried Lee around Dachau Concentration Camp.
1: Yeah. Oh, my God.
2: And yeah, so think about it. That, that morning, she had witnessed the horror of Dachau. And remember, many of her friends were Jewish. Many of her friends were missing. When she got to Paris, she found there were huge numbers of people missing. So she felt very, very acutely the agony of that place. And it was very personal to her. And those boots that had carried her around Dachau are now grinding the filth and the degradation and the suffering of that place into Hitler's nice, clean bath mat. It's a, she's sitting there as a victor. She's not a guest in his house. Yeah. You know, It's metaphorically grinding her heel into his face. Yeah. So Sherman gets in, and Lee pulls the camera back a little bit and tilts it up. And that takes in the shower head hanging above Sherman. Now, that morning, they had witnessed rooms that had been labeled shower baths, but they were, in fact, the gas chambers. And so here's this shower head hanging above her buddy, Sherman, who was, in fact, Jewish. And it is just this chilling circularity. Yes, the shower head's harmless, but you could just see the uh, the double meaning there and yeah so those two shots side by side they have um, an incredible power because of course they also like you mentioned just now signifying the end of the war yeah the war ended about six days later
1: wow I, i've got goosebumps yeah <laughs> i mean that's a that's an unbelievable story um you know and your your mom was also one of the first supermodels i mean there's a there's a story about how she was discovered by vogue magazine that's really interesting also would you mind telling that story
2: yeah well she was she was very beautiful and one day she was just walking through the streets of manhattan looking rather lovely because she had not long come back from paris so she she had french clothes and she looked gorgeous and she stepped off the pavement in a a moment of not looking where she was going. She stepped off the pavement, and she was right into the path of an oncoming truck. And, you know, she could have been killed. But actually, a man had been watching her, not surprisingly. (laughs) And he grabbed her, and he pulled her back, and she did the girly thing. She fainted in his arms. And he looked down, and he saw this face and these clothes... And this woman, and he realized that he had exactly what he needed because his name was Condé Nast, and he was wow. the owner of Vogue magazine and Vanity Fair. And within a few weeks, she was on the front cover of Vogue, drawn by Georges Pape. a Jeez. wonderful <laughs> picture of her with a cloche hat on. <laughs> and that led her to be photographed by Edward Steichen and others, other of the, others of the, the best in that moment. And, yeah, she became a kind of a supermodel. Yeah. Uh, well,
0: thankfully that she was saved because then she would have never taken the bath
1: and then you would have never bitten Picasso. <laughs> right. And
0: our show would we be canceled. Be right. Today. And our show it's- would be
1: canceled, which would really be the right <laughs> <laughs> So you've, she, yeah, he not only saved her, he saved us. Yeah, right, exactly. Which is really the <laughs> yeah, well, true benefit go. of that. Uh,
2: yes, yeah, good old condoness. <laughs> uh,
0: so let's talk a little bit about the Lee Miller archives, which you are now devoting, For uh, correct me if I'm wrong, pretty much everything right now. Um, and how this work with the Lee Miller archives has allowed you to get to know your mother better right through all the great photographs that that you unearthed so tell us a little bit about you know everything
2: well when when my mom died in in um, 1977 very few people remembered her as a photographer and she's certainly gone to tremendous lengths to actually stop people from thinking of her and to not have anything more to do with photography in a formal sense. She still took lots of pictures of friends and artists and people like that but nothing was published and if you had gone along and said look I understand that you photograph for Vogue and she would here and there and did this and that. And she would say, Oh no, I didn't do much. And anyway, everything I did has all been destroyed, it's been lost in the war or whatever. And she'd push you as one to one side. And then she would try and encourage you to take an interest in Man Ray or Steichen or something like that. But actually what had happened was that she'd stashed her entire career in mm. the attic in the upstairs rooms of our old farmhouse. In a series of cardboard boxes. And Anyway, after she died, my late wife wanted to find some baby pictures of me to compare with our little girl who had just been born, oh. and um, she just met my mum before she died. Uh, and so her name's Amy, and Amy has, uh, well, of course, as a baby, you can't tell what she's going to look like facially, but... Susanna, my late wife, wanted to know if she was going to have a sort of biggie snout like mine or a very big <laughs> nose like hers. And so we wanted baby pictures. And we found, she found not baby pictures, not pictures in fact, but she came downstairs with the manuscript of what amounted to a full on infantry assault against a heavily guarded German fortress. And I read this. And I couldn't believe it. It was the most vivid piece of combat reporting that I'd ever seen. And I couldn't work out who it was by. There was no byline. And so we dragged out everything else. And yes, eventually we found, yes, it was by Lee. It was her account of the siege of San Marlo. And this was devastating for me because in her later, you know, her post-war years when I had known her, I was born in 1947, Um, she had suffered dreadfully from alcohol abuse and post-traumatic stress. So the person that I knew was not the incredible person who was doing all this writing and photography during the war. So anyway, I, I read it and I read everything else, and we dragged everything out of the the attic. We turned over a room in the old farmhouse to being our first archive, and we just went through it all, and it led from one thing to another, and then I was invited to write her biography, and in so doing, every time I did a piece of research, I got to know my mum better, and it was a most extraordinary and quite cathartic experience there was one time i came back from a research trip in 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 the u.s and i'd met a lot of people who were her you know wartime colleagues and i was telling my dad about it and some of the horrific things that she had been through and witnessed and he got quite emotional and he said i wish we'd known if only we had known we could have been more sympathetic we could have been more accommodating we could have been more helpful wow because even your dad had, didn't know yeah you see she never told him anything in case you should be worried you know at that t- at the time yes. and then afterwards of course it just doesn't it just doesn't happen the words don't come out you know so at the time she would not signal back to him in England what was going on because she knew he would be out of his mind with worry and rightly she must too. so it, for me the whole process has been discovering this woman this mother who i i'd never really known as as the person she really was and it's been i think the most amazingly wonderful journey wow
1: this has been such a, a great uh, conversation. I really enjoyed it very much. If people want to find out more about uh, the Lee Miller Archives or any of your other work, this is a, a chance for you to plug away. Let hey, people your, know where they can find you your, and your, your books and everything.
2: Well, thank you very much. Now, everything you need to know is either on the Lee Miller website, so that's just simply lee miller dot co dot uk. Or what we've done now is we've turned the old family home, Farley Farm, into a house museum for both my parents, for for Lee and for Roland Penrose. And that has its own website, which is Farley's House and Garden. And it's all one word, Farley's House and Garden. And if you get onto that, you can see Lee's work, Roland's work, what we're doing today, all the books that we've done because my co-director in the archive is Amy the little baby that just Aww. met Lee
0: what, what's her nose is she, her nose the, 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 your, yeah. your nose or Lee's nose or, or,
2: oh uh, no she's got, she's got actually she's got Lee's nose and she and her sister they almost have a kind of competition to see who's going to look most like their grandmother oh. <laughs> and this is absolutely wonderful um, so yeah it's uh, anyway Amy is our my, my co-director she's also a finance director and she's amazing and she's kept us right side up through all the pandemic when we've we very very nearly had to close because we we make a, we we make exhibitions we make books we make films for television and so on and all of that just vanished we had no income and 11 people on staff uh and so she was the one who who got the funding together so that we're still here now
0: and the house—the um, house is in East Sussex, right?
2: Yes, it's in East Sussex. It's not far from the towns of Brighton or Lewis or Eastbourne. And if you're if you're down this way, it's a beautiful piece of country to visit. And there's lots of other stuff. There's lots of small museums uh, and and it, really exciting things in this area. So if you are an art lover or a photography lover or a history person, this is a great place to come. Uh, your neighbors with Roger Daltrey, aren't you? Yes, lots of lots of yes, him and 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 others indeed, uh, who who have uh, uh, one of the one of the Beatles lives not far from here and so on. So yeah, it's a it's it's a very favourable area for exactly the same reason that my parents came here. It's close to London and also in in those days as of now. It's close to Europe.
0: Does Roger In ever talk? Does Roger ever talk about us? Does <laughs> oh, yeah. he
2: don't ever he just mention mentioned anything mentioned about us? Yesterday, <laughs> <laughs> huge fan. <Yeah.
1: laughs>
0: There's more to come with our guest on Minutia Men celebrity interview. Right after this, we'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of anchors do that. <clears throat>
1: <clears throat> <clears throat> yeah, it's a thing. <clears throat> Are you ready? Oh, boy. Okay, here we go. Three, two, one. Hi, I'm Howard Sudbury. And I'm Steve Baskerville. Let's that was do good, it again. What? That wasn't good. Now we messed it all up. What's wrong? What? How? It was going good, and then it went south. No, it didn't. Well, if that went south, get, see what happens now. Okay, you ready? Yeah. Hi, I'm Howard Sudbury. And I'm Steve Baskerville. Back to you on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Great talk radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com. I need an agent. All right, Adam, what uh, country are you from? I am from England. What is the best soccer league in the entire world? The English Premier League. What is your day job? Director of Coaching for Illinois Youth Soccer. So if you were, say, a fan of English Premier League, and you wanted to hear the, the opinions of someone who is from England, who knows a lot of soccer, what podcast would you tell people they need to listen to? Free Kicks with Adam and Rick. And that's on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Free Kicks, a Tony Lasano podcast, Opie show on the Radio
0: Misfits Podcast Network. Great talk radio isn't dead, it just moved to a better place. RadioMisfits.com. We are back with more Minutia Men celebrity interview.
1: Well, thank you very much, Anthony. This has been a pleasure. This has been wonderful, and, wonderful. and uh, we wish you the very best.
2: Oh, thank you so much. A pleasure to talk okay. to you, and I hope I hope this goes well, and I hope that not close down your, your your podcast. No, you saved <laughs> but, you saved but, our career. When they see
0: what they've got, they might well do. Right. Do you have anything else? That, you know that we could <laughs> flop out? Did you like? That, I don't know. save it for
1: next time. <laughs> okay, thanks, Anthony. Thanks, Anthony. Bye, bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, bye. Well, that's it for this week's edition of the Minutia Men Celebrity Interview.
0: Special thanks to executive producer Tony Lasano with opishows.com. Opi is hippo backwards. O-P-P-I-H shows dot com. Distributed by Ed Silla. Radio
1: Misfits. Great talk radio isn't dead. It's just moved to a better place. radiomisfits.com dot com. And we'll be back again next week with another edition of the Minutia Men Celebrity Interview. The preceding was a presentation of Opie Productions. Find our other great shows wherever you find podcasts, including opishows.com. Thank you. This has been a presentation of Opie Productions.
0: Tony, can you shut up?
1: Quick, Lou, what's your favorite car color?
2: I'd say Lou likes blue. Lou likes blue? Yeah, blue's pretty good, but really, I prefer silver. But regardless of our color preferences, when it comes to cars, you'll never know what you'll hear on the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. I'm Mark Vernon. I'm Lou Costable. Join us for the Car Guys Report, a Tony Lasano podcast, an opi production on the Radio Misfits podcast network.
0: Silver. Really? Silver. What is the deal with all these little, little liquor shop. bottles? Uh,
1: yesterday was my sister's birthday, and as Germans, I just thought it would be fun to buy a bunch of little ones. And as it turns out, I bought too many. Did uh, you just, like, go to the closeout aisle no. and just grab I, a bunch of bottles? No, or? so I went to Benny's last night, uh. and I bought 30 of these. And I bought a jar of cherries because I occasionally like to make Manhattans. And the and the lady at Benny's looks at me and goes, Well, you're going to have some fun tonight. (laughs) She said to me, I just have one quick question. What's the deal with the cherries? How do you use the cherries? I said, you have no idea. This is going to be wild. Listen to Minutia Men on Spotify, opishows.com, or wherever you find podcasts. Just search for Radio Misfits.